Colossians 1. Um, if you need a Bible, we can get you one. We'd love for you to follow along this morning. Last week, or two weeks ago, we began the book of Colossians, working our way through it. And we found the author, Paul, writing to a church in Colossae that he had never been to. Though he had heard about it through his ministry partner, uh, Epaphras, and Epaphras was with Paul in jail, encouraging him. And they're writing this letter uh, to this church because this church has a mighty reputation about faith in Christ Jesus and love for all people and having a confident hope uh, of eternity. But at the same time, they're writing because there are some issues that are springing up within the church that Paul wants to address because he loves them very much, hearing about them and what God is doing in their life. We had mentioned, just so you have a little context to what we're going to talk about uh, this morning, that there was a little bit of false teaching going around that was really taking some people away from the truth of the gospel. And it was kind of a mix of Gnosticism, which is this idea of superior understanding and learning and Jewish legalism. The idea of worship of angels and mysticism and visions not connected with Jesus, strange laws and obedience to tradition. And Jesus was getting pushed down further and further it became more maybe about man's effort and ability than it was about the truth of the gospel Jesus Christ so as Paul writes it's really interesting knowing that every word in scripture is anointed he really affirms them and encourages them and then last week we know that he's praying for them and he prayed that they would know God that they would understand God, that they would bear all good fruit, and we learned how to pray for one another. And after he has prayed for them, he starts into a little bit of theology, but not so much so. He wants to show them, because he knows they're struggling, that Christ is supreme, that there is no one like Jesus. So he gathers in this chapter almost into this amazing, amazing poem about Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. Now, some scholars and theologians, though we don't know, believe that they might have recited this and eventually the church might have even have sang this and remembered this. But this is truly all about Jesus who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, his power, his love. So we start in verse 15 and we'll read it together. It says this, Christ, I'm reading in chapter 1 verse 15 and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And just there, just to stop for a moment, some people say, well, I've never seen God. I don't know God. And Moses never saw God and only saw his glory pass. And I remember years ago, we did a little series on the Gospels. And people say, what is God truly like? And here Paul makes it very clear. Christ 
is the visible picture of what God is. And think about that for a minute, because as we think of Christ, what do we see? We so see so many things in the gospel. We see mercy and graciousness. We see long-suffering. We see obedience. We see Jesus abounding in goodness and truth. We see forgiveness. And we see righteousness that would judge sin. And so if you ever wonder, what is God like? Like, is he something up there I don't know? I encourage you, read the gospel. See Jesus. See Jesus what he is like. I know there has been missionaries before and, and ministering in other countries. And just even as we heard. And people will allow you to share about Jesus. Even in some Middle Eastern countries, you're not trying to convert them, but hey, this is Jesus. This is what Jesus was like. And for us to understand that, we then see God. Because Christ is the perfect, visible image of the invisible God. It says the same thing, actually, in Hebrews chapter 1. And it says... He is that picture of God's glory. He is the picture of God's character. And we know Jesus truly is God. It goes on to say he existed before anything. Or was first before anything was created. He is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Oftentimes we would say God created, but if Jesus is God, he was right there with him in creation. He was a part of creation. He created through him and for him is all creation. And we can get lost in the words and I'm not really a nature lover, <laughs> per se. My wife, I know she went to a conference in Atlanta, and she told me she learned most when she was alone by watching ants in a little anthill. And God spoke to her through nature and the beauty of nature. And I'm not one like, hey, let's go watch the sunrise or the sunset. I see God's power in that. But there are people like that. When you see something absolutely amazing and you say, who could have made this with such power and might? I could have come here with a whole list of scientific facts about the power and the size of the universe, which they're finding out is continually expanding. And Earth, we're just this little tiny nothing on this huge amount of space in our universe, and now there's more universes, and the speed that Earth travels around the sun, and this cosmic, massive thing called creation. I remember years ago, Louis Giglio did this video, I don't know if you ever saw it, called Indescribable. And he does this thing, and he says, look how small Earth is. And he talks about the size of the universe. And I don't know if you ever saw that. And it's absolutely amazing. But I can't come up here and do that because I don't know anything about science. Um, 
But I wanted you to know it is absolutely amazing the power of creation. And even the 24 elders in Revelation are praising God and Jesus on the throne, saying there's all honor, glory, and power towards you for those who have created. This week I had to run to our family cottage. It was cut the lawn time. And uh, so I wanted to run out there. Monday's a little bit of my day off, and I thought I'd go out there. And I was kind of lamenting the fact, right? Like, I could be at home, and this is my day off, and I'm going to cut the grass. I'm just a natural complainer. Uh, I'm learning to do better. Um, but I drove out there, and it was a beautiful day. I don't, it's been just a, a string of beautiful weather, hasn't it? Just the cold nights and warm days, and the sun starts peeking out, and there's just a little coldness, and there's dew on the grass. Oh, that darn grass. So I said, well, I'm not going to cut it when it's wet, right? Like, it's just going to make a mess. I'll just go down to the dock because that's something I haven't done. I haven't taken the dock in. Oh. But anyways, I got down there and there was this picture. I don't know if you've ever been to water in the summer, a lake, and there's so many lakes right around us and all over the world. But it was one of those mornings when it was perfectly still. It was sunny, so you could see 10 to 15 feet out all the way to the bottom. And I saw these fish. I don't really like fish. But I was like, this is the biggest aquarium I've ever seen. God, you're so amazing. And the sun was glistening. And then I thought, oh, my boys, too bad I took out the boat. Would they want to be here water skiing? Um, then the loons started piping up. And they started singing to one another. And it was almost like Psalm 148. They started to praise God. And, and I started to think of creation and the power. And even before I knew what this was about, I haven't even looked at Colossians yet. And I started thinking of the power of God. And I had a few things on my mind. You know, sometimes uh, I think of things and I see problems because I deal with people. And I'm like, God. How are you going to deal with this problem? This is like bigger than me. And there's a storm going on in people's lives because I'm involved with people. And people are just like you and me and we have struggles. And sometimes it's like, God, I've been praying and you can't. Are you big enough and strong enough to calm this storm? It just happened that morning, my devotions, which I sat on the dock and read the Bible because the grass was too wet to cut. Psalm 46 and it started talking about how God is our refuge and our strength and I mentioned this in our home group because the experience was so real to me but there's storms and the water shakes and roars and the mountains crumble but the whole idea in that psalm is God is bigger and he's more powerful than any storm you can face in your life and at the end it was really neat because I'm sitting there and it's so still. And if I raise my arm, the fish whoop, scatter because they can see me as much as I can see them. And it says, be still and know that I am God. And there was a stillness that morning. And I said, God, Jesus, you are bigger. Because obviously I have my prayer list too. I'm working through it. I'm reading. I'm doing my prayer list. And I just felt God say, I'm bigger. 
if you will be still and know my power, then any of the problems that any of the people that you are praying for have, you will understand that I am your refuge and I am your rock. And I want to tell you this morning that Jesus is God and Jesus did create. And you can trust him and that he is bigger than any challenge you face today. Yes, he walked on earth. Yes, he was a carpenter. Yes, he made himself human. But as we look at this and understand what Paul is saying to them, understand the absolute magnitude and power of Jesus Christ. And if you will be still, not run around and try and fix it. If you will be still and know him, you will understand his power in the midst of your storms. And I found, could you imagine singing this out and singing, Christ, you are the visible picture of God. You existed before anything. You are supreme. You are preeminent, Jesus. You created. And then it goes on to say, not only the things I can see, the things I can't see. Wow. I don't even know that the reality of this spiritual realm is way bigger than just our physical world. And here's another picture that Christ is supreme over what you see and the reality of what you don't see. And it goes on to say he's preeminent over these powers and kingdoms and rulers and authorities and it throws in in the unseen world. Wow. Now why did he write that? He wrote that because they're worshiping angels thinking they're all powerful and Paul says, folks, Jesus created that and any spiritual realm that you're trying to worship and see as more important than Christ. Christ is preeminent and supreme and he even created what you're worshiping. How about that? Because oftentimes in this world, what we see and we don't see, we worship what was created instead of the creator. And we see it all over our world. As more and more people are worshiping the nature, the beauty of God's creation, and even the spiritual powers he created, instead of worshiping the one who created it all. Every summer I go to the beach, and I think, there's a lot of people worshiping the sun right now. And there's one rainy day. Oh, darn it, I spent all this money on this vacation. And I wanted to go out there. And I use that as a silly story. But people do worship creation. And Paul is saying there's a creator. And people do worship the spiritual powers of the unseen world. We know that. And they want so much to worship visions and miracles but folks there's a creator who's the one we're to worship and his name is jesus and jesus is god well he doesn't stop there he goes on to say not only did he create and do all that the seen and unseen but he's holding everything together 
And again, I'm not a scientist, but they say there's something called the atomic glue. They don't know the atom, my wife was telling me this morning, is a building block of all life, but it's formed in there with protons that all have the same charge. And it's kind of like if you have a magnet and you have two positive ends, what does it do? It repels, right? But you have in this building block things that are supposed to be logically repelling and scientists say, we don't know why this is exploding, this building block. It's like something's holding it all together. I wonder what is that something? It's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus' creation. It's incredible. And even more so, I will add this. You were created. You are God's masterpiece. You were created to worship him. He goes on in, in the spiritual realm and the idea of ministry. After he says he holds all creation together in verse 18, Christ is also the head of the church which is his body. He's the beginning supreme over all who will rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. He is preeminent and he should be in our lives. And why do we do this? The elders aren't the head of this church. Christ is. He's the cornerstone and the foundation of every spiritual thing we do. We, we're so funny. We want the glory. Or as humans, we love to look at humans. Oh, that sermon by so-and-so. Did you hear it by Pastor Frank? I just used the name because I didn't want to hit the people you listen to. <laughs> but we end up worshiping people instead of the head, the foundation, the core, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, just as he created, uses his creation to minister to people, but we don't worship the people. We worship the one who made them, who Christ ministers through, because he is the head and he is the foundation and everything flows through him. Amen. And we come here not to worship each other, but to worship Jesus Christ, who is God. Who is all things, all power? And the amazing thing as we continue in this incredible poem, it says in verse 19, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you and me who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault what that's the gospel amen this massive powerful jesus who is god came to this earth died for you 
to pay the price to reconcile an accounting term to my debt, my credit. I owed something. I owed my life because of my sin. There was a price to pay. I had to pay something. I could not pay it. God who is Jesus, loved me, limited himself of all his power to come to earth to pay the price that I would be forgiven. And as I am forgiven and he lives in me, I am holy without fault. So, you see that as good news? What? That's why Jude says, keep yourself in the love of of God. Though you stumble, you will not fall because of Jesus Christ. Your salvation is not your effort nor your ability. It is all the work of a loving God who came to earth, who reconciled you through his death and resurrection. You are alive. And this is the kicker because Jesus did that. This is the gospel. You are holy. I grew up in the holiness movement. I think be more holy. Gotta be more holy. I can't dance, can't watch movies. I can't even hang out with you if you do. I gotta be more holy, more holy. And that's very positive. I wanna see how that works out in my life. But the problem is I didn't grasp in my head. I already was because of Jesus Christ. And my relationship with Christ was more about me than it was about him. And I needed to hear this. My holiness didn't depend on me, but it was him. And as I know that, my life becomes like his practically. But positionally, I am without fault if I believe in Jesus Christ. Okay. You guys think I know this. <laughs> right? I know this. Yes, I know you know this. I know you know this, but why do you get depressed when you make a mistake? Well, I should have done better, okay. Oh, does God still love me? I feel shame in my sin. Okay. I talk to so many people, even my own head. I talk to myself for a lot of my life, and I call it roller coaster Christianity. I don't really like roller coasters. Some of you might like roller coasters. I don't like roller coasters. I went to Disney World about Dan and Jen Kelly who've been saving for a long time. They went to Disney today. I was like, oh, you better go on that ride and that ride. There's one ride I didn't like. Well, there's a lot I didn't go on. When the kids were little, I'd be like, I'll stay with the kids. You go ahead, Amy. Um, Animal Kingdom, Mount Everest. So my wife went on it. I was with the kids watching them. Oh, good. They all look great. And she's like, why don't you go on with me? Oh, no. Like, it's not that bad. I'm like, really? Well, I kind of felt left out a bit, right? I was thinking, if I go on that thing, I'm going to get a headache. I just, you know what? She's like, it's not that bad. She's like, yesterday we were in Magic Kingdom, and we went on this one called the, the Rocky Mountain whatever, and I liked that one. It was kind of like a kitty one, you know? <laughs> that, was, that was like my style. It wasn't, uh, oh, I'll go on that one, just a little ups and downs. Ooh! <laughs> right? Eh, she convinced me. She's like, ah, oh, okay, I don't know where we sat. I just sat next to her. She's like, oh, it's not that bad. You'll like it. Oh, it's okay. I hate the moment where you're just like going up and you know, it goes like thick, 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 thick. And you're like, in a moment, where's my stomach? And I was like, okay, why isn't it stopping? We're going too high. This is going too much. 
he lied to me. <laughs> but she's still holy, thank the Lord. It got even worse when we went backwards and I couldn't even see. And then it got dark and I got off that thing and I was like, more than ever, I hate roller coasters. I think it was that time or the next, I was put to shame, Nathaniel, I think went on six or seven times. I had a blistering headache the rest of the day. And I tell you that story because I thought you need a little break and have some fun. But some of you in your Christian walk are living up to down based on your feelings of how you're doing with God. You have a good week. You read your Bible. You feel good about yourself. You feel like you witnessed. You've been kind to people. All of a sudden, you think, I'm doing this. I'm earning this. And even the most seasoned Christians sometimes can struggle because when things don't go your way and people come out of the blue and you might respond the wrong way and you're not as holy as you think you should be. And then all of a sudden you're going down the hill of the roller coaster and it's just not feeling good. And the reality is some of us are living up and down and up and down and it's based on our ability and our behavior. And Paul is saying, because these people in Colossae are thinking, if I do this mystical spiritual thing, then I will be more holy. If I obey these Jewish laws, I will be more holy. I'm going to read something to you from Colossians 2. We'll put it in perspective. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority." When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by the nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or what you drink or not celebrating certain days or new moons or Sabbath, for these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ Himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about this thing and that thing. Their sinful minds have made them proud, and they are not connected to Christ, the head 
of the body. I love that. Because so often we lose sight of the truth of what we believe in. And it becomes more about us than Christ. And whether we're denying ourselves, whether we're doing this or I was fasting or I prayed all week or I read and I'm feeling better or if I had this or that, some experience happened to me. And Paul is saying, no, no fullness is in Jesus Christ. And as you understand that, you will read, you will experience him in ways you never have before, but you are not worshiping his work you are going to worship him and his work that he came and died and set you free. And today, if you have faith in him, you are completely holy without fault. You come in here, you condemn yourself. You go out there, you condemn yourself. I failed, I failed. That is why we worship and believe in Jesus Christ. So often, I've heard people in taking communion say, I had a bad week. I believe in Christ. I can't take communion. I'm not meeting the standard. There is no standard because Christ died for you. And when you take communion, you're saying, I am imperfect, but you are all powerful. You made yourself a man. You died for me. You took my sins. You reconciled me. And now I am holy because of you, Jesus. In you is fullness and freedom and I am different I am new Amen. and so many people come I suck at this I can't do this look how I'm failing and I say don't talk like that to me because Jesus paid the price for you and don't live in shame but allow the truth of his grace to set you free so often so many people struggle in sin because they're trying to beat it on their own and they don't believe the truth of what God has said. And in this poem is all truth. And why did Paul write it? Because they were falling away. And today you say, well, is that really a danger today? I'm going to tell you as your pastor, it is a danger and many people are living this way and need to be called back to the truth. And I don't care if you've been a believer for 60 years, 70 years, 40 years, 20 years, or one week, you need to hear the gospel every single day. He goes on to say, I'm just going to finish in a minute, I know you're all waiting, but you must continue like people are falling away. That's why Paul says in verse 23, in the truth of all of this, you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. So big arguments in today's theology about God's sovereignty and man's free will. I don't like to enter those discussions. I just find they're fruitless, and if you have an opinion, you don't want to change, and it just becomes a crazy circle. But every time God's work is mentioned, man's responsibility is not too far behind. I have people quote verses to me. 
And one of this, look, Jesus is done. And I say, yes, he's done. But read a little further and understand your responsibility in his majesty and his grace and his powerful work. You are called to continue to believe or New King James to have faith in the truth and to stand firmly in it. And the warning is, don't drift away. You can read it again in Hebrews. Don't drift away. Because naturally, sin can have an effect to harden our heart where we drift away and think it's more about us. And Paul is warning them, here is the majesty of Christ. Here is Jesus. Here's what he's done. Here's now what you are. Keep believing and having faith and don't drift away from it. I have a little boat. My dad has a big boat. I mentioned it. 185 horsepower. I have an Explorer 200. I got it at Walmart for $14. I like to paddle out in the middle of the lake. Close my eyes, talk to my wife. Before I know it, I got to be careful. I got to get my oars out. Because if it's a windy day, I'm halfway down the lake. It's so light, and I drift, and I drift, and I drift. And some days I want to drift. But spiritually, you don't want to drift in your boat. You want to put your anchor firmly in the truth of Jesus Christ. And modern day philosophy and weirdness is going to invade the church to push us away and even spiritual weirdness away. And anything that pushes you away from Christ, you don't listen to it. Christ allows me to follow him and desire him. But if the desire and following is more important than his work, that's not God's truth. Amen? Stand firm. Don't drift away from believing in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. You know, I wonder these messages again, Northgate, where, I don't know, I feel like you've heard it all sometimes. But there's so much more for us to understand of the majesty of what Christ has done. In my life, it took me many years to start to understand this. And I really believe, and I stand firmly, that my life was changed when I started to understand grace. And I think your life will be changed when you start to understand grace, Christ, his work. And the majesty next week is this powerful God who created everything, this head of the church, just give a little taste in your mouth, lives in you. That's another sermon. And that's incredible. That this poem lives in me. 
and I've got the head of the church. Forget about the Pope, baby. I've got the head, the foundation, the power that created everything in me. So don't tell me you're weak because you have all you need plus, plus, plus. We'll save that for next week. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and goodness this day. Thank you for the truth of your word. May we know you. May you give us a spirit of wisdom and understanding to know God. And may we get off the roller coaster, the ups and downs of the Christian life. And may we know truth and live in truth so we're not going up and down by how we feel we're doing. Yeah, Jesus, you're so good. May we keep ourselves in the love of God. Though we may stumble, we will never fall because the greatness of the work of Jesus Christ. If you don't have faith this morning or you don't believe, you can't claim the forgiveness. It's a free gift and it's available, but you have to receive it. You have to believe it. The word of God says, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus died and rose again on the third day, you will be saved. And this morning, I don't want to go any further. Maybe you've never truly believed that. Maybe you've known that in your head. But Jesus is calling to you today to understand, I want to be pure and clean and receive that. He says, with your heart, trust me. Believe me. Journey with me. Is that you? Maybe you've drifted away. You need to come back to Jesus, the fullness of God, this morning. Just search your heart. Let the Holy Spirit search you this morning. You don't need to say a prayer. Prayers are good. It's good if you say a prayer. The truth is, it's between you and Jesus Christ. I want you to know if you believe in him in this moment, you've received all forgiveness for your sins, past, present, and future. You are free. And that's why we celebrate communion, as I mentioned before. We worship Jesus, his power, his majesty, who he is, and what he's done. And maybe you have had a crappy week. Would you just bask? And worship the one who's wiped it away by his blood, by his sacrifice. Would you be encouraged today? Would you leave this place knowing as you believe in Jesus Christ, you are holy and without fault. So Satan, get lost with your condemnation. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. give you our sins we confess them knowing we're forgiven and we celebrate you the elements are in the back jim's gonna sing just worship the lord this is a time of worship
for what he has done. You can get them quietly and return back to your seat, just thanking him and praising him. Let's celebrate Jesus together.